lifestyle. Sports cards and we live now. Jeremy Lee in the building and every guest that you ever needed. Sports cards after hours keep the hobby heated. Updates hobby talk like you never seen it. Sports cards live and I could ever beat it. Sports cards is a lifestyle. Sports cards and we live now. Welcome to another episode of Sports Cards Live with your host, Jeremy Lee. All right, welcome everybody to episode number 158 of Sports Cards Live. It is Saturday night, October the 22nd, 2022, and my name is Jeremy Lee. I would like to thank Andre Lassard from the Montreal show, The Anti-Expo, for joining us last time. Had a great show with Andre talking about the state of card shows. Feel free to check that out on the YouTube channel. Tomorrow on Collectible Live at 7 o'clock Eastern, our guest is James Kehoe. He's an expert in graded sports magazines, including Sports Illustrated. I'm interested and looking forward to learning more about that niche within our hobby. And note, everybody, there will be no Sports Cards Live next Saturday, as I will be at the Montreal show, but we'll be back the week after. I would like to shout out the Center Stage app. Download the app in the App Store for quick comps when you are at a card show or to help you price cards for sale on any platform. The app is continuously improving. So please help me in supporting this great team they have there and the innovation that they are undertaking. Also, shout out Tag Grading. We had a great experience as the platinum sponsor at the Del Mar show. We took insight. We took we took we took on-site submissions, had a great experience. Thanks everyone who did come by the booth to see what we're up to and for the people who submitted cards with us. Next stop for Tag will be the Toronto Expo, November 10th to 13th. We will again be accepting on-site submissions. Speaking of the Toronto Expo, the Thursday night is November the 10th. I'll be hosting a traditional Thursday night pre-expo dinner at Jack Astor's. If you see this or hear this, you are invited. If you're in town at that time, come on, join us. It'll be a great time. Also, the, the Montreal show, I want to shout them out, is presented by Heritage Auctions. I'll be there. That is next weekend, October 29th and 30th. I'll be set up as a vendor. Looking forward to that. If you're going to be there, please stop by and say hello. I want to thank all of our loyal viewers and listeners. We recently had 5,000 YouTube subscribers, so thanks, everybody, for that. If you're not yet subscribed to the channel, please take a moment and do so. As always, tonight, your comments, your questions are in play, so let's get to it. Tonight's guest, he is a hobby veteran. He's an industry stalwart. Some may say he is of legendary status. I'm looking down to see if he's smirking yet. He is not from Southern California. Let's bring him out. Mark Neiman, welcome to Sports Cards Live. How are you, buddy? Jeremy, thanks for having me, man. That was quite the introduction and unnecessary, though, man. Seriously. Okay, well, then I take it all back. All right, take it back. I feel better now. (laughs) I'm messing around. Hey, I got to say thank you for coming on short notice. I originally had uh, the fellas from the Union Marketplace schedule, but we're just going to make the scheduling work for tonight, so we're going to reschedule them. And, Mark, thank you for being available. No problem. Well, I think it's – I think where are things – where are things at with it? How How is the how is the hobby doing? Is is volume down, prices – all sorts of comments like – And I'm seeing it on Twitter. I don't know if I just froze on you there for a moment. I yeah, yeah, you, you froze. You you froze up on me a little bit there. 
All right, no worries. I, th- I think I think I am back. I should be back here, so we'll just we will just go with it. But uh, just ba- I'm just basically setting the context, Mark, for the episode that you know there's a lot of lot of lot of narrative out there that things aren't going so well in the hobby right now, and uh, and I think we can we can sort of either verify that or speak to it based on your observations. I mean, you're sure. a guy. You have your your boots to the ground kind of guy. You've got your finger on the pulse of the hobby, so we're going to talk about that and get get your opinion on it. Uh, based on what you're seeing, because you're out there every day grinding this hobby away. So we'll get into that. Uh, but before we do, just want to say hello to the to the chat. We got LA Collection says Mark is a is amazing, huge asset to the hobby. I got to agree. Good evening to you, Tom Bullard, Jake Dahl, Studio. Yes, we have snow my way. I was shoveling snow today. Yes, I was. Yesterday it was like 70 degrees. Today I'm shoveling snow. Jeff McMahon, what's going on? A collector's dream. Benny Cromwell, good to see you. Been a while for me. Glad to be back. Good to have you back, Benny. Thank you for joining. So, Mark, I guess let's just, uh, you know, I do like to let the the audience uh, get to know the guest in the event that they don't know you. You're, you're well known, but, you know, maybe not. Maybe everybody doesn't know you that's watching. Can you just give us a little brief synopsis of your, your history in the hobby and what brings you to today? Sure. Well, I appreciate the form, man. Uh, so my name is Mark Neiman, and uh, I own a company called Ultimate Pastime Sports. I started this company in 1991 as a business. Uh, I started collecting as far back as I can remember. It's about 1984. And I've been, I mean, very fortunate enough to have been able to turn a hobby into a career for the last 31 years. So it's been an amazing ride. We've seen it all. You're talking about the state of the hobby now. Jeremy. The hobby's not going anywhere. The hobby's <laughs> not going anywhere. Prices might change, but the hobby's not going anywhere. I mean, that's that's what it comes down to. Okay, you know what? We can end this episode right now because that is the state of the hobby. The state is is that the hobby is in it's in state. It's not going to go anywhere. You know, we've seen cycles before. If you've been in the hobby longer than two and a half, three years, you know that the hobby has been through cycles over the years and. We're just at the at, in another one. We just happen to be maybe lower down in a valley as far as prices go. But where I what I really want to pick your brain about is not so much about the prices because prices go up and down all the time. That that's there's nothing new about that. But I think where there is more concern right now in among hobby participants is the volume, the amount of people, the the liquidity, the you know, the amount of transactions that are happening on a regular basis. Now, I don't have eBay's recent data. I know last night on the uh, PWCC or two nights ago on the PWCC premier auction, uh, they had no trouble selling 469 lots, which is mm-hmm. the most they've ever done. Uh, but that's just one, one. that's only 470 transactions. There's There's thousands every day, I'm sure. So I don't know what's going on volume wise however you know like you i was at the the recent delmar card show of san diego put on by the union marketplace and i saw lots of people there you were there set up as a vendor we were doing different things there i was a customer i was i was representing tag grading you were there set up as a vendor so i know you have a bit of a different uh, different view different uh perception of what was going on there but let's just start with this sure prices are down on cards it's happened before but what can you what what light can you shed on on the market for us in terms of volume of transactions and par, and number of participants? What's your gut sure. feel on that right now? So I'd like to I'd like to go back to what you were talking about how the prices 
you know, how they've fallen a little bit. But if you look back over the last two and a half years, like pre-pandemic, stuff is up crazy, crazy amounts compared to where it was. So the prices kind of fluctuate back down a little bit. That's okay. All they're doing is correcting themselves. And the way I look at it is stuff got way too high, way too fast. I mean, you've been doing this a long time. You can probably agree or disagree with that, but I really feel like stuff got too high, too fast. There's a ton of new people in the business. And in and when I say business, who aren't just collectors, who are in it to make that money. And people bought stuff that they didn't know. People bought into the hype and over the last couple of years. And a lot of, some people are over leveraged and their backs are against the wall. But with Zion coming back and all that stuff, that's what everybody bought during the pandemic. And he could single-handedly rejuvenate the entire industry as a whole because everybody has that stuff. And if he starts doing well and does good, I mean, everybody's back in the game at that point. Yeah, and that's it's a it's a it's funny how we can we can almost uh, peg the the success of the next season within the hobby on one one player like like a Zion, right? It, but back when you know pre. <laughs> pre-grading backlog before, uh, you know, at the very beginning of the pandemic, um, you know, people were buying up Lucas and Zions, but they, the question there is, were they buying the right cards? We know that people were hoarding this, this, just the, the PSA 10 base cards of these guys, the prism, the regular prisms. And then some were, 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 were hoarding the prism silvers, the stepped up version of the regular card. And those, both of these cards skyrocketed in value. I mean, I, I remember the, I remember at the 2019 national, I bought a PSA 10 Prism Luca Prism. I think I paid fifty dollars for it. A couple of years later, I see them trading at two thousand dollars, and now I don't know where they've settled. Now I'm guessing they're in they're around about two seventy five to three hundred. Yeah, I was thinking they were about three hundred dollars. So from fifty to two thousand, which didn't last too long. Back down to 300. I bought one for 50. It's now worth 300. That's still a pretty decent ROI if I were selling that card. Absolutely. Now look at it. The other side of it, somebody who paid 2000 for one of those is, is buried. They're buried. So we have to find, like people have to realize like what to buy, kind of what not to buy. Like buying into the hype is such a bad thing that people can do like getting in, just listening to people, not knowing what they're buying. And you, you, you know, my motto, you know what I always say as a, as a collector for a collector is to buy what you like, because if you like it, no matter what the internet tells you it's worth, no matter what your friend or eBay or anybody you talk to tells you it's worth, if you like it, it's always going to have value to you. And a lot of times in collecting sentimental value is way better than monetary value. For sure. I think, I think there's, we have to add a caveat to that. And you and I have something in common. You've been you've been preaching the buy what you like mantra for, for 20, 30 years now. Back when I started setting up at the Toronto Expo, uh, after I actually inherited the booth in my own name because I shared it for a bit, I changed the banner that they would hang behind me. My my booth was was actually called, in, in the guide, it was called Collect What You Like. You're, I love you it. You were preaching buy what you like, and I've been, I've been preaching collect what you like for... 15 years now. So we both, we both feel that way, but there is a caveat there, Mark, which is if you are buying and collecting what you like, but you are spending significant money on it, like let's say you liked 
Lucas and Zion's back back in 2021, and you were paying fifteen hundred to two thousand dollars for their cards, which are now worth you know ten ten to fifteen percent of that. You know that. Let me just put it to you this way: Does buy what you like come with any caveat to you? Because if you are spending that money and they go down in value, yes, you still own something you at, like, but you also have to know that you've lost some money. Now, now, when I say buy what you like, just like any other hobby, there. I mean, there's a ton of different hobbies out there. Okay. Never overextend yourself when you're buying what you like. Okay. I mean, that's like a little asterisk in there, a little side note, but seriously, it's easy to do. It's easy to get caught up in it. Um, it's easy to um, start ripping packs and doing this. And before you know it, you're getting these credit card statements and people are buried. And then it causes family problems. Like I've seen it happen to so many customers, friends, like it just happens. And like, we don't, I don't want to see that in the hobby. I want to see everybody, you know, having a good time. Guess what? I've bought stuff that I've lost money on. Everybody has, we've all done it. And that's part of the hobby okay? and part of the business. But at the end of the day, if you have something that's dropping significantly daily, weekly, monthly, like move on, sell it, take that loss, put it into today's current market and buy something else and help compensate that loss a little bit or yeah like and this is something that i did at the del mar show was i had a couple of cards that i was into one of them one of them i was up significantly i think i paid six hundred dollars for it and i ended up trading it away in a deal that got me twenty five hundred dollars in in value for it so that worked well but in another case i was into a card for I mean, I'm doing the conversion of my head, but in Canadian dollars, like 8,200 bucks, and I traded it away for cards that I liked better. And I'd fallen out of love with it, a term I've been using a bit lately. I traded it away for cards that I like better that are probably worth less than what I was into it for. But I came out really happy that, number one, this card that I didn't love anymore was out of my my possession. And I took in cards that I really love again. So that even though I probably lost some value on that trade by locking in that that loss on the card that I that has come down in value, I left feeling really good about my collection and about the deal. So that that is what I love so much about this hobby, Jeremy, is you may not have a ton of excessive in disposable income or extra cash, but if you have cards, you can always trade and you can trade them into something else and you can trade it for somebody different or like a different sport even something that i noticed at the last i mean since i don't know last year and a half or so i go to these shows and i'm at shows every single weekend and it's crazy to me that everybody is looking for the same four or five guys in every sport be different be different right there i mean out here i don't know how much hockey stuff you saw but Southern California doesn't have a huge hockey market. I know the Ducks and the Kings both won Stanley Cups in the last 10 years, you know, a couple times. And like nobody seems to care out here. It's it 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 hurts me that nobody cares when you have such a you know such a fun sport to watch. There was not a lot of hockey at the Del Mar show last weekend, but I think I walked out of there with a couple of the nicest hockey cards that were that were in the room, you know, modern auto patch sort of things that. Connor McDavid, Sidney Crosby, the guys that everybody wants. But there's a reason why people collect. I think we've learned over the last couple of years that I don't want to say we've learned, but there's a there's a lot of people saying buy the goats, buy the goats, you know, because it's you're you're gonna your your ups and downs value wise, I think people believe are going to be somewhat mitigated versus 
prospecting as as a absolutely as it's a lot safer it's a lot it's a lot safer but it doesn't address what you're saying which is be different so i think a good piece of advice for people is kind of hedge yourself when i was when back when i used to crack a lot of wax and i stopped about 10 years ago if i went to the lcs on a trade night and this is you know where i live we've had those for 15 years it was the first thursday of every month or the third whatever it was I'd go in there. If I spent, let's just pick a number. If I spent $1,000 ripping wax, I would then almost force myself to spend $1,000 on a Hall of Fame rookie card. Like maybe not there at the shop that day if they don't, who knows what singles they had. But I would force myself to then spend the same amount of money on what I deem to be a blue chip collectible investment piece, a a baseball Hall of Fame or whatever it was. And that's how I made sure that my collect that if I was gambling on wax, that I was also being conservative on some singles. So that's one thing that I was doing that that it worked out pretty well in the long run. And then I just ended up stopping breaking a lot of product because I just found I did not have a lot of luck. So, you know, that's not just you who doesn't have a lot of like breaking product. But like we talked about before, like uh, the other day, you need breakers. We need breakers because without breakers, there are no singles. Nothing's coming out. People aren't walking into a shop like by themselves and breaking a $40,000 case of flawless or something like that, you know? So we need the breakers for the singles to get pulled to eventually hit the market. Well, that's, that's what I've been. (laughs) You you nailed it right there, Mark. I mean, just because I'm not breaking to look for the cards that I want because it's hard to hit what you actually want. You know, I said, again, I set up a card shows you do too. I know you don't you don't love it, but you do it once in a while. But how many vendors have you heard, or how many times has someone come up to you and they come up to me all the time? They 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 look at my showcase. They go, "Did you pull all these cards?" I'm like, "Not a single one of them. Like I didn't pull any of them. They are all bought. I buy collections. I buy on the secondary market. I go to trade nights. I go to card shows. You know what I mean? Like I didn't buy a single one of these cards. I didn't pull a single card here myself. And that's why." you can actually have a really good inventory because you're not you're not also taking in a lot of the bulk that comes with with those break with breaking however like you said if there was no if there were no breakers and there were no breaker customers then the singles that a lot of us pursue wouldn't make their way onto the secondary market so we as a, a hobby we have to like nurture the breakers and nurture those people however when i say that even i think to myself like am i now because I do believe that breaking it has a there's a gamble aspect to it, and it could be quite strong. So if I'm sitting there hoping people are breaking, it's kind of like I'm not doing it myself. So how can I expect other people to do it? Right. So you're gonna have the. I mean, I'm not a big fan of the casino, but there's thousands of people in every casino right now. I mean, there's people who do it. That's that's just what they do, kind of thing. And that's how the whole buy what you like thing kind of started. My good buddy Isaac. Back in the day, he would open all this wax and he'd get crushed. And he'd be he's like, man, he'd get so mad at himself, you know, and he'd, he'd like build it up. We'd, go, we'd get ready to go to a show and he'd be so pumped up. And for like that three minute high, he's opening the packs and then it's like nothing. Now he's like, oh, man, what did I just do? And like that's that's not a good part of the hobby. I don't like that part of the hobby. 
Um, it is gambling. Like you said, it really is gambling. There are odds on the back of the packs. It shows the odds. It states the odds of the odds of getting, you know, one in 36, one in 2000, whatever it may be. But there are odds on the back of the packs and people are chasing those odds just like they do in a casino. Well, yeah. And if you think about it, like when you go in, when you buy what, whatever break you're buying into or whatever uh, box case that you're opening personally, you know, you're you do look for the value people do kind of in their head, whether they're doing it consciously or not, you know, in your mind that I just spent a thousand dollars. What's my return. If I were to go sell it today, do I have $200 worth? Do I have $500 worth of product? I think we all sort of think about that, but then it comes down to, are you going to actually put it into the market and make it saleable fast enough to capitalize on the, that short-term value that all products experience because if you're not, then it's just going to sit there and you may have you may have nothing three years from now or or you might have a golden gem in there as well. Something, you know, there could be a, a hidden treasure in there as well. So it depends. But for me, I don't I don't enjoy having all that other stuff that I now have to figure out what to do with. Uh, but, you know, we had a comment here. Brian Adams said, I bust boxes and, and keep the ones I like and the rest I sell so they can get out into the marketplace like. That's exact. We need guys like Brian Adams doing that. But the fact that he actually makes that effort to sell the rest, because I think a lot of people just don't or they don't know how to or it's too much of a learning curve. Sure. I think I think what's happened in the in the last two and a half or three years, you know, since pandemic started was like, say, an example is like a prison box. OK, a prison box was meant to be 220 to 250 bucks. OK. Um, they might have cost 180 or something like that. Not $1,200, not $1,500. The manufacturers put the stuff in the boxes based on the SRP, the MSRP. Okay. It's not, the MSRP is not $1,200 or $1,500. So to get that big hit, it, it's tough. It really is. It, it, it is tough. It is tough. I, you, you mentioned before that, you know, with your buddy, he, Isaac, I think you said he'd open yeah. product and then you'd, you're dejected. I remember going to the LCS. You could, I'd spend any, anywhere from 200 to $2,000, whatever it was that day, however, however loose I was feeling. And I, you know, I drive home with the same feeling I would have <laughs> if I left the casino after losing two or four or $600. I mean, that, you know, I'm not a huge gambler, but I'd go play poker. If I'd lose my, a couple buy-ins, I'd go home feeling a little bit bad, you know? Yeah. yeah I had fun, but I still lost money. And I'd have yeah. that same feeling after a, a, a night of breaking wax. So go ahead. So I will tell you this, my friend Isaac was far ahead of the curve because he was opening 0304 exquisite basketball. And we thought he was nuts. He was paying like a fifteen hundred to two thousand a box, and we're like, "Are you crazy for packs of cards?" He goes, "No, it's good stuff." You know, he pulled a Jordan Lebron dual jersey auto. He sold it for like four K, and went and traded it for more wax. And I'm like, "What are you doing?" But that four K card's probably two hundred fifty thousand right now. For you know right. what I mean? So yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he was oh, ahead. No doubt, no doubt. I wanted to, you know, you you said earlier, you said. Buying into the hype is never a good thing from a profit perspective, a, a lot of value perspective. And I, 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 I mean, for the most part, it isn't because any player is going to have their ups and their downs from, from Mike Trout to, to Zion to Sidney Crosby and Ovechkin. It happens, you know, they have, 
players players go and they play in streaks. It happens. So if 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 not if buying into into the hype is not the smartest way to approach the hobby, then is is buying into the slope or buying into the anti hype is that a better way to do it? I think buying what you know is the way to go. Because you, if you don't know anything about it and you're just hearing people over here, over here, over here, and you're just listening to what they're saying, like there's so many different strategies that people have. I would take a little bit of time. If you're going to invest, you're, I mean, people work hard for their money. And I appreciate, like all of our customers, like I want to give them the best value for their dollar. They work hard for that money and they're willing to spend it with us. Like that's awesome. And like I said, I want to give them the best value. I've talked people out of buying stuff in the last couple months, I said, just wait, it's going to come down. Just wait a little bit. It's going to come down. Sure enough, here we are. And is it the right time to buy yet? Nobody knows, but it's cheaper than what it was when they were going to buy it a few months ago, you know? So, yeah. And I mean, you know, the, the herd does like to buy when, when things are positive and everybody's happy, it's easier. It's easier psychologically to buy when prices are rising because, we have we we seem to think that they're going to continue to rise versus when prices are coming down it's a bit harder to buy because you think is it going to come down more so what's the best way in your mind to to still you know transact and collect and be active in the hobby in in a downturn market never overextend yourself back to that Back to that, because if you can afford it, some people have so much money they don't know what to do with, and they can afford if a car drops 50% or 60%. Some people can't do that. So, like, I always I always wonder, you know, and I've said before, and I do, I, I'm always, I'm buying cards all the time, whether it's in an upswing market, a downswing market, I'm buying cards. And I think that that's a decent strategy, because in the long run, it's like a dollar cost average strategy. You're gonna you're gonna have hit all the different points, and if the market over the long the long term is going to slowly increase, and it is even right now. You know, I was looking at some indices earlier today. If you again, if you just take out the last two years, you still we're still on the upswing from where we sure. were pre pandemic. The fear that a lot of people have, and I have somewhat as well, is is that is the curve going to come back down? and go below where we were up until the end of Q1 2020. I think base cards has a good chance of that happening to really coming back down because the reason is base cards and graded base cards are all based on the pop report. The pop reports right now, their companies are so busy. It looks like a progressive slot machine in Vegas. I mean, the pop <laughs> reports are just going crazy. So the more stuff that's out there, the less it's worth. And I think there's a ton of base stuff out there. And I'm just being a realist. I mean, I just want to tell it how it is. And people need to hear that, that sometimes buying the base stuff isn't the best investment you can make Buy, you know, like you talked about yesterday, like a, or earlier, like a, a, a parallel, like you bought the silver Luca, you know what I mean? Just a step up, but those things still took a hit too. Those things were hitting 8,500, $9,000. I think they're like 1800 bucks right now. Yeah, exactly. So, so we, we talked a bit earlier about, you know, people like myself, like yourself and many others who have been holding cards for much more than three years, how the cards we are holding are still up six times what they were the end of 2019. But what about the people that came in during the heater and bought those cards at the peak and now they see what their cards are worth or they've sold, taken their losses? Are we, 
did in your from your perspective has the hobby lost a hundred percent of those people have we lost half of those people have we lost uh, like where what do you think has happened to those people i mean it's unfortunate to say that every show i go to i see less and less of the same faces i mean and it, it's sad i hate to see it but the people aren't gone people have boxes and boxes of stuff that they were buying uh, blaster boxes at walmart for 20 bucks so they have all this stuff this is a performance-based industry. When somebody does good, people ask for their cards. The product goes up. Those guys are sitting on stuff. Basketball just started. Football's, you know, in the in in the middle of the season almost. And like when when people heat up, those people could be back in the game in no time if they want to. And the the faces that you're not seeing anymore. When did you start to see those faces? Like, are these people that were in the hobby from 2010 through 2018, 19? Or these faces that you started to see in twenty, the end of 2020, and now you're not seeing anymore? These are faces who, when I met them, I didn't even see their face because they all had masks on. Those okay. are the faces. <laughs> so it's people that I met at the beginning of 2020 um, who got into it. But my my wife would get on me all the time. Like, stop being a procrastinator. I said, babe, I have so much stuff going on. I'm not being a procrastinator. I just, I can't get to that right now. Well, Jeremy, being a procrastinator paid off during the pandemic. I mean, we had 5,000 count boxes of Jordan cards, you know what I mean? Like stacked. And like it turned in like once the last dance came out and Jordan cards went crazy. That's all That's all it took. I mean, <laughs> last dance, pandemic, Kobe's passing, all these things happened within three months of each other, if I yep. remember correctly. Let's go to some comments. There's a lot that have come in. I'm sure we're going to get some good conversation out of them. Say hello to Jerry. What's happening? Good to see you, Jerry. Facebook user Snow Informer. Yeah, Snow where I am. Hello, Chris C. Uh, Needham, Needham, Gotham says, yes, but how many cards were paid for? I mean, we see all the, yeah, lots of cards aren't paid for. I, I'm going to go out on a limb and say 95% of cards were paid for. We hear about the ones that aren't, but I think most likely were. Frank says, good evening, Mark, and everyone. Good to see you, Frank. As always, Collector's Dream says, buy what you like and stay in your lane. That's a nice little uh, addendum to the to the buy what you like mantra. Rocco Rosado, what is going on? Good to see you. Let's hobby on. Need him, meet him. Says Jeremy is the best at making chicken salad out of chicken poop. I think he's talking <laughs> about you know the the trade that I made that I talked about a bit earlier. Chris C says I collect what I like, but I've had to cut back this year. Proven Hall of Famers like Kobe, Duncan, Nolan Ryan, and sealed wax. I rarely sell, but I will. But I will be going to a show to try and trade new new cards for proven i mean that's that sounds like the perfect approach right there cutting back number one because you've had to that sound tells me that christy is being responsible buying proven players like kobe duncan nolan ryan and sealed wax i understand that rarely sell but we'll be going to a show to try and trade new for proven i mean i like that approach brian adams says i bust boxes keep the ones i like sell the rest so they can get out into the marketplace. We talked about that already, but yes, I love that. I think that's really, really important. Chris C says, that's why I don't open much wax. I keep a lot of stuff sealed and buy individual cards. Breaks are a losing gamble, so I don't bother with them. And I think that's just the fact of the matter. But like you said, like you said, Mark, people love the action. And at the industry summit in Las Vegas, the Beckett Industry Summit, Brian Gray in his keynote speech to wrap up the whole weekend, he got on the stage and spoke to the room and he said that the job of the LCS and the job of the breaker is to provide an experience to the customer that closes the value gap between what you pay to break 
and the value you get out of that break. If you pay a thousand and you get 400 out of there, that $600 gap needs to be filled in by entertainment value. And that's what casinos provide for gamblers. And that's what breakers and LCSs, as Brian Gray stated, and I agree with him, should be providing to uh, their customers. So to, to add on to what Christy's talking about, I think wax is a great kind of investment because you're not just investing in one person, you're investing in the entire rookie class. And since I just started talking right now, 10 seconds ago, another box of something has been opened. So there's less and less of it on the market. One thing, Chris, you got to be careful of are redemptions. Because if some of the best cards are redemption cards, you sit on that wax and they're expired. Not that good. So just, I mean, I love, I love to play to buy wax. I think it's awesome. Like I said, there's less and less of it daily. Um, and people are always going to have that urge to open it, but just, just be careful for the redemptions. Yeah. Very important to stay on top of your, the redemption status of any unopened product you have. Pepino man says, unless your backyard breaks, then your chances are pretty good. <laughs> and I don't know if anybody saw their response video where the CEO gets up in front of the podium and he says, you know, I hear there's some rumors going on out there about us. Well, I'd like to respond to these rumors. And he takes a sip of his drink and the music starts playing. He says, why break anywhere else? And the funny thing is that everyone that was sort of attacking backyard breaks, not attacking, but even just paying attention to it, all, all that did is build their business for them. So if you didn't like them, you actually really helped them out by focusing so much on them. Um, cause he's right. Why would you break anywhere else if we're getting all the big hits? So I thought that was a clever response. Collector's dream says it's all gambling. Needham Needham says nothing beats that dopamine rush. And that's, I mean, that's what it's all about. That's why, that's why they don't just come in cellophane. There's a whole process to opening up products these days. Chris says, I won't buy expensive hobby boxes. I'll focus on retail at a fraction of the price. If I find it at retail. Yeah. Collector's dream says it's too risky. Brian Adams says, I never get that feeling because I spend money. So this is the feeling of kind of sadness or depression when you leave an LCS or a casino after losing money. He says, I never get that feeling because I spend money that is my play with money. And if I only make 25% of the cost back on the box, it's no big deal. Never spend money you can't afford to lose. I mean, that's such an important, uh, an important message right there uh, from Brian Adams. Needham Needham says... How many young kids in this hobby are turning into future problem gamblers? That's a that's a that's a good and I'd say an important question. I don't know the answer to that, but maybe they're going to stick in. Maybe listen. I at the same time as how many are going to turn into future problem gamblers? How many are going to turn into successful entrepreneurs? And I'm not saying that 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 cancels the the you know kind of the impact of somebody becoming uh, a, a problem gambler, but. We're going to see both sides of that. I think the hobby does offer a great platform for people to learn life skills, young people to learn life skills. Anything you'd like to add to that, Mark? Uh, just like anything else, what somebody said before, if you're going to do it, do it responsibly. Like whatever you do. I mean, that's that's, that's pretty common sense. But yeah, it is It is a problem for a lot of people. Uh, they chase. They feel like, oh, I can get my money back just like at the casino and one more box or one more break. And before you know it, um, they really had nothing. So yeah, it's, yeah, it could be a problem. Okay. Here comes a comment from Johnny V says these young kids, unfortunately are not enjoying the collecting. They're watching these clowns on YouTube talking about hustling and turning nines in for tens. So I, I think I, I agree this is going on, but it's not 
all of it. That is a, that is a general statement that does not encompass the entirety of of the situation. There are. This is Johnny V's. This is what Johnny V is seeing, but it's not what everybody is seeing. So it tells me that Johnny V is watching these clowns on YouTube talking about hustling and turning nines in for tens. And Johnny V, along with other people too, are seeing that. But there are other. I see lots of kids that are actually excited about collecting. Mark, what are you seeing? I mean, what what how how much is the Johnny V situation, I, and how much is more more productive? I think honestly, I think it's 50-50 what he's saying. I really it's unfortunate. I really do. Um, these kids are so engaged in their phones and what something is worth and how much is it did it go up or down today. And I think that's taking the collecting out of it. I think it becomes too stressful at that point when you worry about every day, you know, did my card go up? Did my card go down? Like that's not what a hobby is supposed to be about. A hobby is supposed to be enjoying what you're buying and trading with people. And I, I saw what I loved about the Del Mar show is there's such a wide variety of things. I mean, you had, you had million dollar cards in the room and you also had dime boxes and quarter boxes that people would sit through for hours and hours. Like I'd walk around and I would see them. They were literally there for two hours. And those are the true collectors. They don't care about the value. They're trying to fill sets. They have their little lists out. And I think that's what the hobby's about. The business is about what something's worth and eBay and flipping and all that stuff. But as far as collecting goes, man, like that, that, that made me so happy to see that because it showed me that there were still those people out there. Well, and so I want to call attention along those same lines. The Burbank show at the end of August, you walked into that show and to your right in the corner were, I don't know, 500 four row boxes filled with cards that were not base cards for 25 cents a card. Burbank sports cards, put that station in there. That corner was packed with people from open to close every day, buying cards just, for 25 yeah. cents each. But that shows you how strong the actual hobby still is. There's still a lot of hobbyists in here. Exactly my point. It's not always about buying a card for 10 and turning it into 20. There are right. still collectors. Like you said to me earlier today, the hobby is going nowhere. The hobby is is fine. The hobby is fine. What isn't fine are the people who came in in 2021 and bought at the peak. They are not fine. And we feel for them. We wish it was better for them. But besides them, the hobby's been doing pretty good still, is my perspective at least. It's still going strong. There's a lot of shows. And when I say a lot of shows, there could even be too many shows. Realistically. We'll get to that. We'll Let's get to let's get okay. to shows. I want to I want to run through some more comments, which we have a lot of. Um, so let's come back to the the show talk in okay. a couple in a couple seconds here. Um, okay, let me just uh, find where we left off. So first one, yeah, here we like foul fireball. Jeremy, I love base cards. I love all cards, really. That's a uh, that's a great attitude to have in the hobby. The battery, Carlisle Rhodes says, maybe in a couple of years I'll be able to afford the Ronald Acuna Jr. bat down card at last. Maybe, maybe. Triple V says never over leverage or put yourself in a hole for the sake of buying cards. Seems like common sense, but hey, the gambling element will always be there. But these products are ridiculously priced. And that's that simple economics that has the, the cards, the products ridiculously priced is simple supply and demand. Player collector says market corrections reports are the Chantilly show this weekend has been very slow. Normally a major East Coast show. Okay. 
Uh, Johnny V says, way too many big shows. The dealers aren't coming down on prices. Everyone has the Joe Burrow 9 and 10 PSA optic. And yeah, that that does become, it becomes redundant and frustrating when you're at a show and all you see are the same cards everywhere. But I can tell you, if you're at the Del Mar show, yes, there were tables that were filled with only these shiny optics and prisms. But then there were tables, marks, for example, that were really awesome with unique one-off sort of items and then you had people that just had nice vintage people that had rare 90s inserts like it was all represented but it's not we we the narrative that every showcase is filled with joe burrow psa nines and tens is just not true it's just it's just not the fact of the matter it's not it's not and what i like about that i mean yes we see a ton of optic prism mosaic select all that good stuff that everybody bought during the pandemic and that's what everybody has but i love the fact that somebody hit big things out of there and they're trading it into like a nice 90s insert or a nice hall of famer auto um i i think these guys are starting to get the respect that they deserve some of those 90s inserts you want to talk about odds they were impossible to get some of those cards back in the day and the market hasn't followed with it yet you got these new guys that haven't even stepped on the field or played on the court yet that are going for tens of thousands of dollars and you've got these established guys these hard inserts that were impossible to get that are like three to five hundred bucks yeah it's uh you're and that i think i talked about this the other day on an episode where you know people come into the hobby brand new at any point in 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 history usually buying cards of players that they're watching on tv or at games that day that week in that time period and then once you kind of build yourself a nice pc of your favorite player your favorite team you start to look backwards in time and you work you work your way back through maybe all the way back to certain hall of famers and then i think the next step in the in the the evolution of a savvy collector going from modern looking backwards then moves into going for the the truly rare and scarce items from the commodity cards and even you know obviously a Michael Jordan Fleer rookie a Wayne Gretzky a Mike Trout tops update uh Jackie Robinson 48 leaf these are 52 tops Mickey Mantle these are all commodity cards what i mean by that is they are readily available any day of the week you can go onto any online marketplace eBay included and find you know anywhere from 2 dozen to 200 of them they're easily found, easily bought, easily sold. So people end up going eventually from those commodity cards if they're serious about the hobby. And I shouldn't say that. If they are looking for other ways to sort of find value and they understand the importance of scarcity and rarity, then they end up looking for those rarer cards and trading away those commodities for the for the rarer cards. And you just made, made mention, you saw some of that happening. Yeah, I mean, we've seen such an influx too of, you mentioned a couple cards. Well, you mentioned the the Fleer Jordan, the Gretzky, also the Kobe Chrome. That Kobe Chrome, I still think, has a lot of upside. That was a retail-only product, and they were impossible to get. You didn't even get one per box. I don't think you were guaranteed one. And, like, they're back down to, like, almost pre-pandemic prices. Like, it's crazy. PSA 9 hit, like, 15K at one point. Oh, here's a good one for you. 2004, 2005, I sold my buddy a PSA 8 Jordan for 425 bucks. Yeah. Okay. They almost hit 20K during pandemic. Okay. Like I, I had an offer 18,000. Someone was looking for one. I said, yeah, let me call my buddy. 
He's a true collector. He said, Mark, I don't care how much it's worth. I love it. I'm going to keep it. He doesn't need the money, but that's a true collector. He could have, he could rebuy it now. He could buy six of them for that price or whatever, four of them. Exactly. So, you know, it's, but it's no, funny, funny you mentioned Jordan 2008 9. I bought my PSA 9 copy in 2008 at the Chicago National for $1,000. That card traded up to 90 grand yes. in 2021, I believe. Now, yeah. I see. I saw someone on Instagram selling one today for fifteen thousand dollars. Now this comes back to where? What was your entry point? For me, I'm still up right now today. You know, October twenty twenty two, a minimum of fifteen times my investment into that card. But I also left like seventy five thousand dollars on the table by not selling it at its peak. But again, I'm a collector. I've had the thing for. 14 years I wasn't just I wasn't looking to sell it so but it all comes back to when did you what's your entry point and the longer the further back your entry point was the better the the more positively you still see the market myself included uh this Facebook user says good to see you guys next uh sorry I missed you both in Del Mar yeah wish I knew who you were uh Chrissy says it's all cyclical the collectors in this in this before 2020 are going to benefit if they if they're patient we've had peaks and valleys exactly laura says thoughts on the burbank show moving to ontario in february i mean i'll quickly you, you know more about this than i do because you're from ontario but for me from my what i understand a way bigger space and still a great venue is what rob told me last weekend so i'm excited for it but you'll know a lot more about that mark yeah i'm pumped up for that one it's going to be awesome i mean imagine the Burbank show on steroids. That's what it's going to be. It's going to be crazy. There's so many opportunities and breakout rooms and there's rooms for, uh, there's, there's rooms for trade night. It's all in house. It's connected to a, like a hotel within walking distance. There's several hotels around there. There's so many different things and it's like, it, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. The, the main problem everybody had was it was too busy. It was too small of a venue. There was too many people. Well, guess what? That's not going to happen now. Rob, EJ, Jay. I mean, that's one hell of a team that they got run in that show. And they all know their roles and what they're doing. And when they put it together, I mean, look at what they did in Burbank. And I can just wait. I can't wait to see what they do uh, here in Ontario. It's going to be amazing. Yeah, it, it was a great show. I'm with you. I cannot wait either. Pepino Man says, as a Southern California collector, I don't know how I've never made it over to ultimate pastime. I definitely need to get there. So he's talking about you and your business. Do you have a walk-in retail storefront, Mark? We don't anymore. We did for several years. We don't have it anymore. We would do uh, autograph signings and uh, events and stuff like that there. We had like a showroom and a warehouse. But as far as that goes, yeah, we're not doing that anymore. And you can catch me at local shows, run into me, say hi. I'd love to see you and uh, give you a little sticker here. Buy what you like. There you go. There you go. So this next comment I'm going to put up, unfortunately, I don't know who made it because it came through Facebook and I'd love for this person to put their name in, in the comments. So I know who it is because I really like this comment. He go he or she says, uh, that's why it's important to have a good network. Surround yourself with good, trustworthy people in the hobby, people you can have good conversation with and bounce ideas off of. It's like, it's like having a mentor or a life coach. These things go a long way. And in this hobby, I mean, we all benefit from having people whose opinions we trust and respect uh, to, to be willing to talk to us and have conversations. So I love the comment, Mark. 
I, I, I love this comment as well. And Jeremy, it all comes back to networking and building relationships. Because when you build these relationships, you never know where it's going to take you. Like there's often times where I go to shows and I may not buy anything. It may not be a success, you know, monetary wise, but guess what? I talked to four other people or 10 other people that's going to lead the stuff in the future. And another thing, going back to this, we're talking about having a good network and everything like that. There's no such thing as a stupid question when it comes to collecting. Some people might blow it off and they'll be like, oh, you're dumb. But there is no such thing as a stupid question. I like to say there, there, there are no dumb questions. Sorry, the only dumb question is the one not asked. And I just got a text from somebody. That is Jared Rad Ripper. Yeah, I see. I question. see. It. That's who it is. So Jared, Jared's a great guy. Make sure you follow Rad Ripper. I mean, he's out and about all the time here in Southern California, always picking up new stuff. And he collects the old stuff. He's working on, I think, a 1996 Topps Chrome basketball PSA 9 set. Like, Right on. All base commons, everything. So he, he's, awesome. he's a true collector and he flips stuff, he, but just a great guy in general. Well, for anyone like Jared, whoever else is on, um, if you're on Facebook watching right now, I put it up right now on the screen. If you go to streamyard.com slash Facebook, there will be a big blue button that will appear. If you click it, it will simply allow StreamYard, which is the platform I use to do the show, to pick up your name from Facebook. And that's all it will do. So feel free to go ahead and do that. That would be awesome. Okay, let's keep on going here, Mark. Uh, Chris C says, I think it's all cyclical. The collectors in this before 2020 are going to benefit. Oh, we did that one already. Sorry about that. That was way back. We had... Um, Okay, we left off with Pepino Man there, and there was Jared's comment. All right, so let's keep on going through here. Uh, Chris C says, Hobby has far more redemptions than retail. I think, in yeah, Hobby product has far more redemptions. That's very true. SoCal says, Burbank in Ontario is my backyard. Great convention center. Yeah, can't wait for that show. Stale prod, Hobby is fine. General economy is gloomy, hence a bump in the road only. Therefore, collect. I mean, that's that's true. I mean, think about where the economy was at in 2008 and the hobby, and it's doing all right now. Now, is it going to take 14 years for the hobby to have another resurgence like it had in 2021? It may never have a resurgence like it had in 2021, but at some point, it's 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 an index. It's going to grow over time. You and I talked about this earlier on the phone, and we said people always have an excuse of why something's not as hot as it once was. So like April, March, April might be, Oh, it's tax season. People have to pay their taxes or it's the holiday time. People don't have disposable income or after the first of the year, well, people got their credit card statements and realize how much they spent. They, you know what I mean? There's always an excuse. And somebody said it earlier to stay in your lane. And yeah. if you, if you collect within your budget, you're going to have a lot of fun in this hobby and people have been having a lot of fun in this hobby for a hundred years, staying in their budget, not caring about value because there was no value. But what's crazy. I know your sports card live, but there's so much more to collecting than just sports cards. You could collect anything. Exactly. It's not, and a lot of it you see, even at these card shows, we're seeing more and more different type of products and experiences and uh, it's there, there, there are, I love these fig pins. I've seen these fig pins. I saw them, they were set up at the industry summit. I mean, they're, they're pretty cool. Just to throw something out there that caught my eye. I want to go to comment here from Colin Murray says, for many of us, we have been in the business or collecting for 30 years when the value of our cards were a fraction of what they are today. How is this a bad thing 
or questioning where the hobby is going. Yeah, I don't think it's a bad thing. Not a bad thing at all. And it, it really takes, there's such a different narrative that is spun or a different outlook from people who have been in the hobby for 30 years versus people who came in 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 the pandemic. It's a complete different experience. Came in the pandemic, you might be suffering 75% losses. If you came in 30 years ago, you have 600% gains. Like that's a, that's a major difference. Not only that, if you came in 30 years ago, when you collected, when you bought your cards, you were able to find supplies to put your cards in. Huh. Pandemic, you couldn't even do that. There were no supplies anywhere. Exactly. Exactly. There it is, says it's Jared Radripper. Always there he is. Good. Always good seeing Jared. Uh, Mama Breaks, there we go, says, I met Mark at the first show I ever set up at. It has been pivotal, pivotal for my journey. Yes, Mama Breaks, who's making a great name. She's making a great name, doing great things with her kids' scavenger hunts. She did it at Burbank. I saw them preparing for it at Del Mar on the Sunday morning. I had to leave early, but doing great things. And and it's nice to have, and first of all, nice to have women in the hobby. Nice to have the, the women group there's women in the hobby there's women of the hobby these are some networking groups that are out there and they're 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 staking their claim they're saying hey the hobby is for us too you're not gonna you're not gonna push us out because we're women we like these too and guys like us are like hey the more the merrier come on in we know how great it is why do you have to be male to love this stuff and what stephanie is doing for the industry right now jeremy is i mean up here she is keeping it so fun for these kids to come to the show. She's doing the scavenger hunts. She's doing the breaks. She's doing all this stuff. And it's aiming towards the next generation who are going to be the ones who carry this hobby where it's going to be. And like the hobby needs 500 more mama breaks in there. And there's, I wish there was, there was more than one of her, like who does it just like her. There's so many other women in the hobby, but what mama breaks does, like I said, Jeremy, she takes it to the next level and she's really really doing a good job uh yeah i mean from what i see i agree you know you're saying that you wish there were more mama breaks maybe that's some some a business suggestion to her is franchise build a team get you know train people to be more like you if you want there's there could be more like we hear about backyard breaks and some of these other you know uh we the hobby these big selling groups on whatnot and other other platforms and what i've recently learned is that they're not just doing one stream at a time some of these big groups they have four or five different channels or or streams going on on the whatnots at any given time. Mama Breaks could do the same thing. And let's face it, it would blow up because it's women. And that is something that is somewhat intriguing because a lot of us don't expect there to be a lot of women in the hobby. But what you just said, Mark, is that, you know, she's doing it right. She's We need women in the hobby because they make us. It's just like you and me, Mark. Our wives make us better men. These sure. women are making us a better hobby. No, absolutely. And what I meant by I wish there was more of her, she's not doing it for the money. I mean, everybody wants to make money. She's doing it from her heart and to help these kids and guide them in the right direction. That's what I meant by they need more of mama breaks. Yeah. And I hear you. Just spread that message. Send the keep keep the positive vibes going going out through the through the hobby. Laura lets everybody knows the Phillies are up 10 to 6 right now. Needham Needham says, do you guys see any junk wax similarities in the current hobby? And if so, is there any precautions people should take? So we had the junk wax era from like 88 to 93 or so where the hobby blew up. Unlike anything we had ever seen before in the hobby, it it absolutely exploded. Upper Deck came onto the scene. Pro Set came onto the scene. Whole bunch of things were happening. Cards were getting nicer. Foil wraps instead of wax wraps for the first time. 
nicer cards, com competition, all this stuff. Now it's completely different than back then. What, and the reason why I'm going to say it's completely different, there are two key distinctions between the junk wax era and this and the pandemic era. The first distinction is the internet. There was no internet back then. That's a humongous effect on the, the global community, the global economy. It came, everything we ever need from anywhere in the world is now right on our phones. Back then you had to travel or do mail order if you could believe that. And go ahead, jump in. Not only that, I had to wait every month for the new Beckett price guide to be delivered to my house. Now you have prices instantly and they change daily. And that's that's the information age, right? So that's a humongous difference from the junk wax era. And I know I know it doesn't address everything, but it, it is an important factor. And the other one is grading. We didn't have grading in 1994. If we did, it was it was in its infancy. And now we know that when we're and grading became a thing because of the internet, because people were buying cards remotely sight unseen in higher volumes than ever before. And you needed some you needed some sort of third party opinion on what you were buying. And that's where PSA and SGC kind of got had their roots. So those are two big differences. I heard and I know we've, we talk about it. It's out there in the narrative that we're now in the junk slab era. And when 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 PSA and Beckett had their big backlogs and PSA closed the doors there, I think in the spring of 2021 for a few months, uh, you know, with 12 million cards in backlog, I buy into the, to the label, the junk slab era. And that's why we talk about, you know, base, no one, people don't want to collect base cards anymore, go for rarer things. But yet people say, I love base cards. You know, I think when we, when, when people say, you know, avoid base cards, I think they mean, grading mass quantities of them and trying to flip them base card collecting will never go away because people love filling up their albums their binder pages their nine pocket pages with their sets and filling in those holes all the time that's never going to stop so comments on any of that any of that yeah i think the the junk slab era is definitely a thing okay we're seeing five dollar tens at shows we're seeing three dollar tens at shows and no, you can't grade it for that. But what gets me is when you see somebody and it says pop one and it's like, a P you know why it's a pop one? Because nobody in their right mind would ever grade that card. That's why it's a pop one. It doesn't make it any better because it's a pop one. Just means that nobody graded it except for that person that had that card. But that's their selling point now. So when it comes back to the pop reports, when, when you're looking at things like, say, Bull Bull, he scored 15, 20 points or something like that in the bubble at the time everybody went after his stuff the people who graded it before he did that it's a hundred two hundred dollar ten everybody sees the hundred two hundred dollar ten what do they do they take all their bubbles they grade it well guess what they don't get it back for 13 14 months things change in that time and that's yeah. what happened so as the pop report goes up prices come down and here we are exactly here you know the, all this conversation i think i think yakes 604 kind of wraps it up for everybody right here it says the price of things is actually great for collectors. Now your money has so much more buying power. And now that that is so important to understand. However, it seems like people are tightening up. Like you said, at the shows you've been to recently, you're seeing fewer and fewer people wanting to spend money. They want to trade. Yet, you know, 20, 12 to 24 months ago, they would have been shelling out a lot more money then than it would take to buy the same cards today. Yet they're not buying them anymore. They want to trade for them. It's like we as it's a human psychology thing. And it's important to try to follow that whole the, the Warren Buffett thing, you know, when buy when people are, are, are 
are fearful and sell when people are greedy. That's it. It's such good advice. And yet it's hard to follow that advice. But Yakes makes a great, a great point there. Uh, Needham Needham says, or should people put their blinders on and continue investing into this money pit? I mean, I don't know. It's, I don't think it's a money pit. There's always, there is a foundation that is there that is never going to go away because the hobby isn't, if anyone thinks that the hobby is, that a 140 year hobby is going to cave in after six months of values going down, you're, you're just, you're just not, you're just wrong. I mean, that's not an opinion That, that that's just spewing crap no matter what you have or what you collect there's always going to be somebody or several other people who are interested in what you have there's always going to be a way for you to move that product whether it be cash or trade there's collectors everywhere like i said they're not going anywhere they're not going there they're not going anywhere brian adams thank you so much for the uh for the tip says i agree with mark i collect all kinds of other stuff like wrestling i'm working on a rainbow of 2022 prism china card now i don't follow wrestling but even i know who china is so mm-hmm. very good brian addison thank you so much for the uh for the contribution c dubs card says good to see you guys tonight i appreciate how mark is willing to help all people uh, and and he is mark you have you have a great reputation in the hobby why, why do you think that is you know man i was raised to treat people how you want to be treated it's not that hard it's really not that hard and it goes a long way and it's paid off for me over time. And do I get taken advantage of Yeah, I probably do sometimes. But you know what? I do it because I want to. Nobody's forcing me to do anything. I help people because I want to. C-Dub right here. Charles has popped. I got to meet them at a show. I actually did something on his YouTube channel. He has an awesome channel. He's starting up. Just hit 1,000 subscribers, I think. And I'm so proud of him. And he's just another great guy that the hobby needs. So make sure you give him a follow as well. I will. I, I I will now that you, uh, especially as you endorse him so strongly. C-Dubs, welcome to this show. Glad to have you. Uh, Facebook, I don't know if this is Jared still, says, super proud of Stephanie being Mama Breaks and everything she's doing in the hobby. Happy to have someone like her encouraging the next generation, for sure. C-Dubs says, when we were in the junk wax era, did people call it that? Or was that a name that came out later? I mean, later. You don't know you're in it until you're until you're out of it. And even in the junk slab era, we weren't really sure until the backlog started making its way. The tsunami of, of, of slabs made their way into the ecosystem. Sure. Now, what happened, how it became junk wax, um, there's actually a little Netflix documentary on it. It's kind of cheesy, but I mean, you could sit, watch, you can watch it, just look up baseball cards, Netflix. I forgot what it is. I think it's called Jack of All Trades, something like that. But it kind of talks about, and like, that's my generation. It's probably your generation. That stuff that they were talking about is virtually worthless but what happened in that time is go back before that okay sports cards were called trading cards they're made to trade you buy them you trade them with your friends okay then they'd be called then they became they were called collector cards collector cards okay so something that's made to collect usually isn't collectible because they have to make enough of it to accommodate all the new collectors that they're bringing in to collect these things so that's what happened. So when that happened, these card manufacturers, Tops, Fleer, Upper Deck, uh, Score, they opened the floodgates and mass produced everything to accommodate all of the new collectors on the scene at the time. And that's how the stuff uh, became junk wax. Now, I will tell you this, during pandemic, just like everything else, it kind of wasn't junk wax anymore. Like boxes that were like a dollar a box, $2 a box got up to like $40, $50 a box. 
And so I go to my LCS here, Eastridge Hobbies, right right near me, and he sells a ton of junk wax era unopened product now. I, I, I go in there and I say, you're still carrying this? He goes, yeah. He goes, you won't believe how much of this I sell. I ship it off, I ship it here, I ship it there. People are still opening up the, the junk wax era product. It's having a bit of a resurgence. Because when it comes to collecting, that sentimental aspect is everything. When you can go back and relive your childhood, open a pack of cards, get that smell. You smell the gum, you smell the cards. Like, man, I got the chills right now. Like when I do that, I could picture myself walking into my local car shop or my mom or dad driving me somewhere to go, you know, wash cars or mow lawns to buy a 25 cent pack of cards with the gum in it. And like, it just brings you back. So you can still relive your childhood for under 20 bucks. Like, how cool is that? Where can you do that anywhere? Other no, than you're right. It's that, power, it's that power of nostalgia. It takes you back 30 years ago to yes. where you were by, by the smell. It's funny how powerful <laughs> that sense is. Right. But you're right. Opening up those, those 1990 score hockey packs in that plastic <laughs> wrap, the pro set, oh the, the upper, the, the 1990 upper deck looking for those, Todd Van Poppels, you know what yeah, I mean? That like, was a foil wrap, like you talked about yeah, before. That was a foil wrap. Yeah, foil wrap, exactly. Wrap. Exactly. Laura says, does the junk slab era enhance the junk wax era? That's an interesting question. I I don't know. I, th- I think it's a cyclical thing. Here we are 30 years later, and nostalgia is kicking in from people who were, you know, 10 to 15 or 20 years old in the early 90s, and now they're what is that? 45 years old. And they're, Hey, I'll go spend 30 bucks on a box of cards. I remember paying 44, 30 years ago. Sure. Now I think something that the junk slab era has going for it is there's so many people who build repack products and they can't all be the best of the best 10. So they're going to need some crap to put in there. Right? So people are still going to buy the junk slabs. They're still going to buy it. There's still going to be a way to move those because people are going to put it into their product and they're going to, Put it. Hey, it's not going to be a hit, but it's going to be a filler for sure. For sure, yeah. And and you know what? Those are very popular products, and that's an that's an innovation in the hobby that I think, you know, we taught. There's a there's the whole narrative about flippers and flippers this, flippers that. I mean, flippers provide a, a very important service to the hobby by taking a card from one person and finding the next finding the the next home or the or maybe even the last home, the final home for it. I think just like we need breakers, we need flippers. They keep the ecosystem moving. It keeps the whole thing fluid. Flippers are awesome. I buy a ton of stuff from flippers. Um, Some people don't want to take the time to do the work and be patient and either list it on a platform on eBay or with what not going on right now. Like there's so many different platforms you can sell on Facebook pages. Um, And I think that, I mean, people who just want to get in and get out and flip it, that's great for people like myself. I mean, I don't plan on going anywhere. I've been doing this 31 years. Um, I'm patient with stuff. Yes, yes, we sit on stuff a little too long sometimes, and we, we might feel the dip, but it's okay. We make up for it on other stuff. All right. Skeppy says, the junk wax era was much more widespread without internet and cell phones. Everyone was into cards, girls. And grandparents, girls and grandparents were trading cards. There is a resurgence today, but nothing like it was. Yeah, it's a completely different, it's a completely different landscape. Colin Murray says you had to wait for a pink international money order when you sold something on eBay. Half the time the wrong one was sent and took three weeks to a month to complete a sale. Now it's seconds with the advent of PayPal and other payment methods. 
not only that, you look at sites like platforms like whatnot, like you don't have to worry about that non-paying bidder because guess what? It charges their card like that. You don't have to wait three, five, seven, or 10 days for your auction to end because you got 15, 25, 30, 40 minute auctions that's going like this, 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 this so fast. And it's such a fast platform and it's safe. And I mean, it's crazy. Like who would have thought something like that would have ever, uh, ended up in the hobby it's good and it's not just cards so you want to talk about collecting other things look at other look at other categories on that platform on that site it is crazy i see people making money hand over fist women men kids like everybody's involved on that platform um and it, it's crazy i mean like i said there's there's so many other ways to make money and collect than sports cards yeah for sure for sure uh yakes says when there is blood in the streets be the one buying i mean yes he he yakes i don't know if, i don't know if yakes is male or female but i'm gonna say yakes is 100 correct in that with that piece of advice however it is hard to get over that psychological hurdle of buying when things seem like they might be on a downturn goes on to say how stoked are you that timu solani will be at the expo yes i'm very excited if anyone doesn't know, Timu Solani, the, the hockey player, is my favorite all-time professional athlete. And, um, yeah, he will be. They just announced that last week, so I'm excited that he will be at the Expo. I will be there as well. And check out the ticker right now if anyone will be in Montreal next weekend, October 29th to 30th. The website for the Montreal show, antiexpo.com slash en for the English version. And Toronto Expo, November 10th to 13th, sportcardexpo. Com. I will be there and tag grading will be there doing on-site submissions as well. Uh, let's see. Facebook user, maybe Jared says anything can be a money pit if you don't take in knowledge of it and act like a sheep and just follow the crowd. As Mark said earlier, you know, know what you're doing, buy things you know about. I think that's really important advice. You can, there's so much information out there to do research. You can read up, you can follow, you can watch sports. There's an option, watch sports. To, to learn who to collect and who not to. I mean, it is it is performance-based. Our business is performance-based. When somebody does good, prices go up. When they're not doing too good, prices coming down. But what's good about this, I mean, baseball during the season literally changes daily because they play so often. Basketball, you got a couple days to sell stuff. They play every couple days. Football, you have an entire week. Hockey, unfortunately, out here, nobody cares about it, Jeremy. But, I mean, I imagine you'd have the same about, like, basketball probably every couple days things fluctuate and stuff like that so yeah hockey and basketball are both like 82 game schedule yeah. so it's uh it's very very similar but you're right football is the one where there's the there's the most uh oh jeremy froze up here are we back are we back we're, we're back we're back as I was saying, I think football has the one where there's we you can have week to week arbitrage in between games, right? Because there is so much time from one week to the next. If you are nimble enough to get your cards listed or sold on whichever on your platform of choice. And I'm waiting for the day that people start respecting running backs, receivers, and other football players just than quarterbacks. Just because the quarterback. there are guys out there that are so fun and exciting to watch that get no love in the hobby. Because they're not a quarterback. Yeah, that's uh, that's a that is an interesting phenomenon. I mean, there are exceptions to the rule: the Jerry Rices, the Barry Sanders, Walter Paytons, Emmett Smith, these kind of guys.
But on the receivers, from the receivers' perspective, outside of Jerry Rice, I mean, Randy Moss, Larry Fitzgerald. Sure. Yeah, I mean, you don't hear much about these guys, actually. It's like no, you got Jerry like Rice. Jefferson right now. I mean, dude is a stud. He's getting some hobby love, but not, I mean, I think he should, he has a lot of potential still. I really do. But, you, but, but look at what you're, you're talking about, a prospect, a young guy. Look, look in the rear view mirror now. What, what wide receivers in the, in all of history get hobby love right now outside of those, outside of Jerry Rice? Yeah, not very many. Not very many. I mean, you got a couple of receivers. Tony Gonzalez got some love. Kelsey gets some love. Um, tight end, but it's it, it's it's few and far between. Whereas the quarterbacks, that's where that's where all the love goes, which is funny because it's the opposite of baseball, where the pitchers don't get a lot of love, and both both positions are throwing balls for a living. That's what they're doing. The difference, though, is that the quarterback is on the offense, and the pitcher is on the defense. And offense is usually what pays the bills. People for, buy. Uh, yep. Right. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. All right. C-Dubs appreciates the kind words. Brian Adams says, my dad's motto was be law abiding, self-providing and treat others how you would want to be treated. That's what I live by. You know, the second part, treat others how you'd want to be treated. The golden rule, you know, goes out saying, but I like what Brian's dad did. He added the the, the pretense to it here uh, or the preamble saying be law abiding, self-providing. Like, that's nice. What a great what a great augmentation to the golden rule. Laura says, so Fanatics Takeover will change the base of accessibility? It might. I mean, it seems to me like they've got a much wider distribution reach than anyone in the hobby does right now. Although we see cards at Walmarts and Targets, and that's pretty wide distribution. But will Fanatics take them out of those retail outlets and move them into all their lid stores and stadiums? I I don't know what's coming. Any thoughts? I think Fanatics is going to get cards wherever they can get them. I think their job is to promote what they're selling, and they do a good job at that. They really do. And they're going to get them in the hands of people wherever they can get them in the hands of people. You're going to see cards like on the wall at the baseball games. You're going to see because they want people to get into the collectability, uh, into the um, collectible market. And without having the accessibility, like it's hard to do. So they're going to want people to be able to buy stuff. Like they might be at a seven 11 look over. Oh, look, a pack of cards. I'm going to buy a pack of cards. I think, I think they're going to make it pretty easily accessible. I really do. Yeah. Yeah. Chris C says, if everyone was like you two and Chris Sewell, the hob who is baseball card collector, investor dealer in that order, uh, the hobby would be an absolute joy right all the time. Thank you both for your content. Yeah. I appreciate that a lot, Chris. Thank and, you. And mentioning uh, Chris Sewell, um, who's you know a friend, a hobby friend of mine? He will be coming back on the show in the near future. Um, he doesn't know. I'm saying this. We talked about it, but I have we don't have anything planned yet. But I'm telling if he's watching, Chris, we'll have you back very soon. I'm sure. Thank you, Jared, for clarifying. It's still you. Skeppy says, Mark, if you were to guess the next big innovation in cards, what do you see happening? Could be an idea you have or other ideas you've heard. It's a fun question. Does anything come uh- to mind for you? I would love to see them getting back to actual game used swatches. That could be a game changer in itself. There's only so much game used stuff out there and it's going to add value to it. I mean, the stuff you put it on, take it off, put it on, take it off. It's cool. The card looks cool, but there's really not any like history behind it. I think if they did stuff like that, if they brought the actual game used stuff, that'd be pretty uh, innovative. I think. Yeah. It would be nice to, to have, 
all these all these memorabilia cards that we do buy that come out of packs today, if there was a way, and I know it's very, very logistically difficult, if not impossible, I won't say impossible, extremely difficult for card companies to do it, but to actually put on the card what game it came from. Now, it's I know, and I've talked to them about it, it's, it's very hard for them to do it, but I don't think it's impossible. It's uh, not here- impossible, because for a while, Tops would put an actual MLB like a little hologram on that piece of jersey, and you could you could run that number. It'll tell you exactly when and where it was from. Yeah. So it, yeah, it's not impossible for sure. Jeremy M says to me, Jeremy, have you ever met Team Lusilani? If not, do you want to? And will you make the effort at the expo? That's a really good question. So yes, I've met Team Lusilani a few times. Um, quick story: when I had my LCS in Winnipeg, where he played his first couple of years, ninety-one to ninety-four. One night, I was pulling up to the shop to go in and do some work. And I see this uh, Jeep Cherokee parked right in front of the shop because it was, and I knew where he lived. I was literally a five minute walk from his house. And uh, I see a Jeep Cherokee parked in front. And I park in front of him. No one's ever parked in front of my shop. It was a little two unit building on the street. And um, I look in and I see it's T. Mussolini and his brother Pavo. And they were like learning to drive because they were just in Canada from Finland. And it was winter and they were learning to drive. And I, so I chatted with him a little bit, but I'd met him a few times. And um, will I make the effort at the expo? I mean, I'm never one to go meet the athletes and, and stand in line and get autographs. I, I, I Meeting athletes is not something that's ever really been a thing for me. Now, Timu is like one of the few people that I might make the exception for to step away from my booth and go uh, say hello and Hey, do you remember that time you were learning to drive on Grant in, in Winnipeg in 1993, uh, 30 years ago? Uh, maybe I'll do that and make a fool out of myself and walk away thinking, man, I should have just stayed at my booth. But uh, we'll see. Thanks for the question, Jeremy. Uh, Jake Dahl here. We were talking about, I think we were talking about all the all these receivers and running backs that get no love. He says, like Steve Largent and Marcel Dion, two greats in their sports, don't get the hobby love. If anybody doesn't know, Marcel Dion is like the third or fourth all-time leading scorer in the NHL, played for the LA Kings for, I think, his whole, played for Detroit too, but LA is where he's mostly remembered, and never won a Stanley Cup, but is an all-time great. Nobody collects him that I know. But those are the guys that are affordable to collect, and they, they were superstars. They're Hall of Famers, and they're affordable. So the hobby is affordable. Look, this is a perfect yeah. example of that. Yeah, find a player that you like, you connect to, you can still buy and not break the bank. And then you don't need to worry about values. So your $80 purchase goes to 40. Who really cares? It might go back to 80 before it might go back to 80 before you know the difference. Anyway, you might not even track it because you're not tracking the values so closely. So uh, yeah, great, great call out right there. Uh, JG, I remember as a kid, all the dealers were smoking heaters nonstop at their tables. Can't forget that smell as a kid. All right. Thank you, JG. Needham Needham says, it looks like the people who were skeptical about the inflated pandemic prices turned out to be right. Jeremy, if I remember correctly, you saw no end in sight. Thoughts on how you were so wrong. I never, I never said there was no end in sight. I mean, maybe I did. I don't remember everything I've ever said. But what I do remember saying is that the floor, the foundation is higher than it's ever been. And it's probably going to permanently be built up higher than it was pre-pandemic. I can comfortably say that I was right about that. Because if you look at the curves, as of right now, we are the values are still higher today than they were in the quarter, quarter uh, Q1 2020. 
So thoughts on how you were so wrong? I don't think I was so wrong. I think maybe I thought the prices were going to remain higher than they I didn't think the prices were going to come down as much as they did. And my thoughts on how I was so wrong, I can't predict the future just like uh, just like anyone else out there can. Maybe I missed a few big indicators, but hey, I love this hobby, so I'm always going to see it through rose-colored glasses. And you need to know that if you watch my content. I Go think ahead, so, I, I think something you said earlier is you basically you timestamped it. You said, and this is on October 22nd, 2022. That's so important because when people pull up these clips and they're talking about you telling buy this, buy that, do this, do that, it's all time sensitive. It really is. hundred percent. It, it, it is. And you know, when I say I see the hobby through rose colored glasses, it's because I love this hobby. I love my collection. I love being at shows. I love my friends in the hobby. I love making new friends in the hobby. I've made so many new friends, Mark right here. I mean, now you and I, we, I feel like I talk to you every week because I see yeah. you a lot nowadays, <laughs> but I mean, we met for the first time in person, I believe, at the Atlantic City National at yep. the Borgata, just standing in the hallway, made a connection, had some people in common, and now we're pals. I mean, awesome. that's what I love about the hobby. We have this common interest. And yes, I, I don't have a crystal ball to tell me what the future is going to hold. But everybody out there who says it's going down, it's it's just going to go down to zero or the hobby is is dead and all that, you're as wrong. You'll, you will be proven to be as wrong as I as I was proven to be wrong saying that the hobby was in a good place. And it's still, for me and for people who've been in as long as I have that see it from my perspective, we're all very happy. We're all doing very well in this hobby. Absolutely. And this kind of goes back to what happened was when everybody talked about, you know, when they got shipped off to, to the military when they turned 18 and their mom threw away their baseball cards and everybody talks about the story. So I wish I had what I had. I thank them. I tell them to thank their mom for getting rid of it because if they didn't, all that stuff would be worthless. Everybody would have it. Supply and demand. If everybody has it, there, there's there's no demand. Exactly. And that's what exactly. created a market for today, and that's what got us where we are now. I, I love I love I say that myself, Mark. I say it all the time. If those mothers didn't throw out all those collections, <laughs> there would be the value. The those fifty two tops Mickey mantles wouldn't be what they are today. Really, and and everything that came thereafter. Uh, let's see. Chris C says, I think a game used tablet thrown by Brady after an interception would be fun to own. Yeah, no doubt about it. Jeremy says, great story and memory of Timu. Thanks for sharing. You betcha. Thanks for asking. Chris C says, Tim Duncan, Dirk Nowitzki, and Vince Carter also don't get much hobby love. Yes and no, Chris. I mean, I I moved a big Vince Carter, traded to, to Coleman of Coleman Cards, a big Vince Carter card at the Burbank show. He was ecstatic to get it. I think Tim Duncan and Dirk do get do get some hobby love. I, I don't necessarily see their cards plastered all over Instagram, but when Tim Duncan is talked about as a top 10 all-time basketball NBA player, there has to be some love given there. I mean, any there has to be. And maybe I'm just making a, a silly assumption there, but Let's uh, let's go to you, Mark. What do you see on, on those particular players, Duncan, Nowitzki, and uh, and Carter? Do they get any I, love? Carter gets love. Nowitzki gets love. Uh, Duncan, for as good as he was, like he does not get the love he deserves. Love, huh? Like for sure. I mean, during pandemic, his PSA 
10 base tops got up to $1,200 for some reason, which I don't know why. And they're back down to whatever they are under 200 or whatever, but his tops Chrome is such an undervalued card as well. Just like the Kobe. Now they did have hobby boxes that year, unlike the Kobe, but it's still a hard card to get. They, they Hulk, they turn green. And if you can get a mint copy of that for under a hundred, a couple hundred bucks, like buy them and put them away. Like, like Jeremy said, he's noted like one of the top 10 players of all time. And I, mean, I bought I bought a Tim Duncan PSA 10, I think at the 2013 Cleveland National. I think I got it for 40 bucks. I, I remember distinctly standing there. And as soon as I bought it, Brian Gate Gray came in and bought the rest of them off this guy's table because he was he he was loading up on them. Anyway, I bought that card. I don't have it anymore. I sold it. I decided to move out of some of my commodity cards. I think I sold, I think I was into it for 40 bucks. I think I sold it for $400, something like a lot less than I could have in 2021. But again, my ROI, if I, and now, now that it's sold, I can talk like that and say my ROI on this card that was once in, once in my personal collection. And we have to also allow ourselves to, to allow our personal collections to be somewhat fluid. Just because you buy a card and it's for your PC doesn't mean it has to be a permanent card. You are allowed to, to have a card to fall out of love with the card, move it and not yeah. let and have it not be in your PC anymore. But I still made a great return on that outlay. Yeah. I mean, you you made 10x on that. You paid 40, sold it for 400, whatever it was. But collecting is about, like somebody said earlier, staying in your lane and collecting within your budget. And it's okay to get rid of cards. It's okay. Turn it into something else that you're interested in. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and you know what, before I go to the next comment, back to the a deal I made it at uh, Del Mar, you know, I traded away a card that I was into for a lot of money, you know, 8,200 or something. And I mm -hmm. traded it away for cards that I think are probably worth seven, let's say, and I'm doing some conversion in my head, US Canadian to US and that. So again, lost some money, but I walked away so happy. Like, yes, I locked in a loss on a card that I that I disposed of, but I moved into some great cards. It's like that that loss. I, I was so okay with it because I had the private ownership for a few years, and now I walked into some cards that I, I just really like. So that's a key right there. I think it's funny that yeah, Tim Duncan gets no. We say he gets no love, but I know of a of a couple Duncan collectors. There's a couple of big big time Spurs collectors on on Instagram that I follow and. I think they collect. So sometimes if you have two guys that are serious about collecting a player, that that creates that love. And then everyone else yeah. kind of is battling for whatever else those guys aren't buying. Sure. One thing that Duncan has going for him, he does not have a lot of certified autos, period. That'll help the autos that do exist for sure. Yeah. Jake Dahl says the hobby will never go to zero as long as there's buyers, sellers, traders, and breakers. Yeah, I mean, that's true. I, I've taken it a step forward, Jake, a quote that I put out on somewhere a, a while ago. I forget if I can do it verbatim again, but as long as there are people, there will be collectors. And as long as there are sports, there will be cards. So take that to the, take that to the grave. JP says, it does suck that my collection is not worth as much, but I'm glad that things are a lot more affordable now. If I could go back, I would try to slow down. That makes a lot of, if I could go back, I would have sold everything and bought it back today. But that's just not, I, I'm not nimble like that. I don't, and I also don't ever think that I can predict the future of the market one way or the other. I mean, this is a hands-on business and we learn from our mistakes. Yeah. 
Chris C says their prices are too low. I think he's talking about Dirk and Tim and maybe Vince Carter as well. Jerry, Jerry says the hobby is very much alive for those who do not collect the mainstream stuff. And that's a, that's a great point. Speaks to what you talk about, Mark. There are other things to collect. But the other thing is, what is mainstream stuff? Like, and I'd ask you, Jerry, what do you mean by mainstream stuff? Is that the the mass produced brands, like the the, the flagship brands, the tops, the upper deck uh, series one, two in hockey, the prism in basketball, football? Is that what we're talking about when we say mainstream stuff? I, I'm legitimately curious because I just want to know what your perspective is on the definition of mainstream. And Colin Murray says a Gretzky PSA one pre pandemic was two hundred and fifty dollars. Now in the dip, 700. Yeah, and, and Colin, I remember PSA 1 Gretzky Opeachy rookies selling for like 1000 to 1400 bucks. So now they're down to 700 which is like half of the high end of that, yet they're still up almost 3x what they were at the end of 2019, early 2020. Hobby's doing fine. Back to my, uh, when Needham Needham, you know, says that my thoughts on how I was so wrong, I wasn't wrong. I just wasn't as right as I thought I was, but I wasn't wrong. And that's the we're at the bottom of the comments. We're an hour and a half into the episode. Um, it's been great so far, Mark. Great engagement well, from, the, awesome. from the chat. Go ahead. No, I was just saying it's been it's been a great hour and a half. It doesn't even yeah, sound like so, it's been an hour and a half. I know it, does, it feels like ten minutes to me too. It's a fun one, man. You're 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 a great guest. Let's talk a bit about shows and the state of card shows right now. Um, we were both at the Burbank show. We were both at the Del Mar show. I was at the in, the Vegas Industry Summit card show, followed by the summit itself. There was the Las Vegas card show the weekend after. I did not go to that. I'll be at the Montreal show the end of this month. I'll be at the Toronto Expo the middle of November. Uh, one of the narratives that I'm picking up out there on social media is that there are too many shows. It's being it's it's just being spread out too much. There. Some cities you can go, I think, in like the Florida area, maybe in Georgia, here and there. There can be three shows going on in the same city on the same weekend. And is it is it just too much? Now, that might be too much. Should these organizers be working together? Should they be strategizing together? These are the narratives I'm hearing. What are your thoughts right now, Mark, on the current state of card shows? I definitely think that promoters should work together as far as planning their shows. Because if you go back to back to back to back weekends, it just makes it tough on everybody. It makes it tough on people who want to go to buy, people who want to go to sell, people who are selling to trying to replace and update their inventory for the following weekend. So when they go there, they have fresh product. It's not that easy. So when I, I so to answer your question, yes, there are too many shows um, here in Southern California. As uh, Rob, the card father, likes to call it the epicenter of the hobby. I strongly agree with that. We have shows and shops that we can go to on a daily basis that can provide us with inventory. But when you start going to the shows, if you go to a show on a, on a Wednesday and you go back on a, on a Friday or on a Saturday, they may not have had time to change out their, their inventory. And it, it makes it, it's bad for the, for the buyers who are going there because it's the same stuff over and over. Yeah, that make, makes a lot of sense to me. And, you know, one of the, like, listen, I, I met Kyle, I think his name is Kyle Robertson, who runs the Dallas show. I met him at, at Del Mar. He was there, popped it, popped into the tag booth, said hello, uh, got to meet him. And I, I'm, I'm just so impressed with what he's built there. 
as far as building the Dallas show up to be something that is, you know, talked about it with the same sort of admiration as the national is. And I think, I think the Burbank show went from zero to 60, achieving that sort of status as well after one show and how successful it is. But comments that I've also heard is that it happens too often. Once every three months is too much for that show. Um, maybe it wasn't in 20, you know, earlier this year, last year, but is it too much now for that show? And I've never been to it and I'd love to go to it. And Sean Price, who was on with me on Thursday night for the PWCC premiere episode, mentioned he's never missed a Dallas show. He loves it. It's it's to him, it represents the hobby because it's where he's comfortable. He knows all the vendors. It's it's a comfort zone for him. He'd hate for it to go less frequent, probably. But that's kind of all besides the point. Nonetheless, I think card shows are super integral to the hobby because that is where we actually put our phones in our pockets. I mean, unless we're comping, we put our phones in our pockets and we talk to people and we get to really feel the energy in the room and put our, you know, kind of gauge the temperature of the hobby, make those relationships, do networking, build relationships. Maybe you don't get a deal done with somebody, but you get something done with them the next time. All these different things. I think card shows are, I think card shows are the epicenter of the hobby. You know, if I can just kind of steal a line from, from Rob Veris. Um, and to me, that is where I have the most fun at in-person card shows. How about you? Yeah, I totally agree with that. 110%. I am a people person. I love talking to people, engaging in conversations, uh, buying, selling, trading in person. I buy a lot of stuff online too, because we just don't have access to it at every show here because there's only so much inventory at every, in every state and that. And I think that in-person stuff is the way to go. I mean, you get to see the card, you get to look at it, you get to touch, you get to feel it, you get to examine it, inspect it, whatever you want to do before you purchase it. And then it doesn't have to get sent off to an authenticator. It doesn't have to get sent off to this. Like you're walking out of the show with this card in your possession. Yeah, there's going to be no no uh, excuses on eBay asking people to cancel your bid or <laughs> any or you know the the cards getting lost in the mail. They are they are the maybe the most liquid platform we have in the hobby. Where you know if there's a show that day, you can just go there and probably find someone to to buy you out of your stuff if if you if you're willing to sell it for the prices they're offering. Yeah. But that's what's great about the National, the Dallas Card Show, Burbank, the Union Marketplace, Del Mar Show. That's what's great about those shows. It brings in such a wide array of, of dealers from all over the U.S. that it's like a, a big pond to fish from that you don't get to see every weekend. Like at these yeah. weekend shows that happen. Now, eBay, eBay is a great buyer's market. I buy a lot of stuff on eBay. I've bought stuff and actually resold it on eBay too because people ran an auction and ended at a bad time. I bought it, put it in my eBay store and actually sold while it was still on the completed listed board at what I paid for it. So how relevant are comps? You know what I mean? Like if somebody looked back to see what the last one sold for, why would they buy mine for 30% more? If, if all we did was pay last comp, card prices would be flat forever. So it's uh well, Yesterday's we price is not today's price. And that's... Exactly. Yesterday's price is what the people who were <laughs> fighting for that card paid. Today's price, there could be new people work looking at the card. Yeah. It's, it's if you are not ever willing to pay over comps, uh, I, I don't. I think that you're not. You don't. You're not. You're not part of. You're not part of the future success of the hobby. If all you want to ever do is pay under. Now back to liquidity at card shows. 
nowadays at card shows, something new, and you mentioned early, Mark, with all the, the repack products and people doing, whether it's whether it's the, the Hit Parade product from Dave and Adams or Brian Gray and Leaf putting out repack products or all the group breakers or the whatnot sellers doing them now. I mean, they are setting up at card shows, advertising the percent of comp that they are paying. And you can go liquidate your, your inventory if you want, your collection if you want. There was a guy, one guy I met at the, uh, at the, at the Del Mar show who knew me, was, you know, like sports cards live, had a really nice interaction with him and thank him for, for being so nice to me. Um, he said that, yeah, he's kind of getting out of the hobby. He got in in the pandemic, had a great couple of years. And now I said to him, so what are you going to do with all your stuff? He said, I'm going to sell it to those guys over there that are paying 70 to 80% of comps. I'm going to see what I sell. Then at the end of the day on Sunday, I'm going to sell it. I'm going to get cleaned out by them. That's a strategy. Nothing wrong with it. Keeps the cards moving around. And those guys are going to buy them and put them back into the hobby one way or another, make a bit of money, stay in business. And that guy may decide, hey, I missed the cards. I missed the hobby. I'll I'll start from scratch again. People start from scratch in this hobby all the time. I hear stories yep. like that a lot. I think repack products are awesome for the hobby because it keeps everybody in the game. Um, you're not limited to just one year, one sport, one player. Like you could get anything and your options are endless with repack products. Very true. All right. Jerry answered the question, what he considers mainstream. He says, I focus on minor, junior, college, and international hockey team sets. I am almost always finding new items to collect, even though I've been collecting for close to 40 years. See, this, I am always finding new things to collect. There's always new things to collect in this hobby. There are always more cards to buy. Thanks for clarifying, Jerry. Chris says, if we could only get print runs released, that would be true transparency. Yeah, I've asked people like card company executives, why don't you release print runs? And it's to keep us guessing. It's beca- it's so that we don't know the the big these big numbers is what I is what I think is the case. If you knew there were a million Mike Trout tops update or Luca Luca Prisms, are you still gonna pay that three hundred bucks for it? I don't know. LA Collection says people think the hobby is bad because cards are not skyrocketing every two seconds. D- to, uh, yeah, agree. Anyone who has been in the hobby for longer than five minutes since 2018. Uh, pretty much, pretty much true. Goes on to say, oh, sorry, anybody who's been, let me go back. Anyone who has been in the hobby for longer than five minutes since 2018 knows that the hobby is still super strong versus where we were a few years ago. Yeah, 100% agree with that. Mama Break says, I think promoters should definitely work together, but there's also much more value we can add to card shows like networking opportunities, workshops, big collections, showcases, entertainment, etc. She hits the nail on the head. Mama Breaks does right there because in order to stay relevant, in order to keep card shows interesting, they have to evolve. And the union marketplace, which is the the marketing arm behind the Delmar card show, I believe the, the promotions group uh, led by Wiley and Alex, these guys promoted a show. Like I've never seen a show promoted before. I've never seen uh, the, the sort of extra things going on on the floor during there was a lightsaber fight right in front of the tag booth in the middle of the day. It was a lot of fun. It had a whole crowd. It was, it was awesome. The way that they promoted the sponsors and the vendors, I've never seen anything like it. Um, so, yeah, 
there's they have to find ways to differentiate themselves, stay relevant. And it's a competitive landscape now, especially when there's more than one show in one city on any given day. You need to be the you need to do something different to bring people to your show. Any comments on that, Mark? Yeah, I'm gonna say that Mama Breaks was such a big part of the success of Del Mar for that family environment and family friendly atmosphere. I mean, it, but that's that's what that's what they do. Burbank's the same way, you know, and it's 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 fun for the entire family. You can go there, the mom and the daughter can go walk around, or the mom and the son, whoever's not into collecting. There's plenty of stuff to look at, plenty of stuff to see, plenty of stuff to do. There were some food trucks out there that was awesome like on on site that it was it was just a great event and i i think i think stephanie's right but don't it felt like being yourself, a carnival it felt like but being don't a carnival. cut yourself short steph because you were a big part of that it felt like being at a carnival at that show it really did and on sunday when she held when she held the kids uh the kids uh treasure search thing i was actually gone by i had to i had to leave the, the venue at about 11 a.m on sunday so i missed the rest of the day but uh, i'm sure it was awesome c dub says love the burbank show yes uh we i think i think we all did uh chris says the national needs to come to the west coast though it's always on the east coast which is really narrow-minded it's it's not a narrow-minded thing chris it's actually there are all sorts of logistics that goes into it there are there is actually a a set of, of uh, rules or the, the um, I can't think of the term right now, but the, the constitution of the national, if you will, that it has to be planned so far in advance. Every, every year it has to be two states away. They need facilities that will take their booking three years in advance. You would be surprised how many big facilities that could hold the national will not accept a reservation three years in advance. There has to be hotels. There has to be parking. The city has to get involved. There are so many things that go into it that just not every city is eligible. Not every city wants it there as well. So there's much more to it. It's not narrow-minded, but I do know that they are looking at other, uh, I think a lot of people know now, they are looking to expand into other locations moving forward. Not only that, with with newer, bigger locations comes more expenses. The tables are going to be higher. Admissions going to be higher. Um, I know when they, when the national was out here, the last time it was here was 2006 in Anaheim. Um, I did that show. And I mean, they had to commit to like six or 800 hotel rooms or a thousand, 1200 hotel rooms, whatever it was. And if they didn't sell that, they had to pay for those. So the market wasn't what it, it wasn't what it is today or anywhere yeah. near. And uh, so it's, it's tough. So you got to find that. I think personally, if the national state in one place, they should just keep it in Chicago. I'm with you. I'm with you. The argument that the national people will tell you is though, then is, but then it's not really a national. Well, I don't know. I mean, it's still, it's still, it's just a name. It's I mean, one it's time a year, once a year, make it, make it. I'm big. with you. If it was in Chicago every year, I'd be very happy. It's, it's a major hub city for travel. It's all, it's East coast enough because Colin makes the comment here, 80% of the dealers are in the East, not easy taking a couple booths worth of stuff on a plane. And my understanding is that, you know, the hobby is kind of the, the, the heart of the hobby. While SoCal might be the epicenter, the heart of the hobby, the history is all, a lot of it is on the East Coast. I think that that's just the way it is. But that said, get on the plane. Why should, why should 20% of the West Coast uh, dealers be the only ones that ever have to hop on a plane and head east. 
Cooter Lev says Dallas is a great show, but six times a year is too much. Many people I talk to, myself included, have started to skip every so often to spread out their budget and let excitement for going rekindle. And I said before, every three months was too much. If it's now, I didn't know it's every two months. Yeah, I think that is a bit excessive, and maybe they will have to scale that back. Needham Needham says, I think promoters should do door giveaways when you purchase a ticket, high end boxes, cards, autograph memorabilia, etc., would make things more interesting. I mean, it's all. I love. I love. I, I love. I love when people suggest that 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 businesses give stuff away. I'm not saying it's a bad strategy, but that's the easiest thing for the customer, the attendee, to say: give give stuff away, give stuff away. That's that's one. But at least blend it with an experience. Make it experiential yes. so that there are memories formed, not just walk in, get a box of of Prism or Upper Deck Series One as you walk in the door as a prize open up and go sell it at a booth. I mean, that that to me isn't the experience that I think is going to, to help the hobby. But there is something to what, to what Needham Needham is saying. Uh, let's see here. We did that one. C-Dub says, that would be awesome if the National came to the West Coast, Las Vegas. I, w- I was able to go when they were in Chicago. And they'll be in Chicago every second year, most likely, I would yeah. think, going forward. Uh, Laura says, do you to, to Chris, uh, do you think that there's a wall in the Mississippi River, so to speak, that keeps the national on that side of the country? I think we've addressed that a little bit. Colin says, I get it, though, but to get the dealers to move, easier for the collectors to jump on a plane. All right, just travel. Now we're talking about travel logistics. Bobby Burrell, hobby historian, says the hobby is predicated on pleasure and commerce. Let no one govern your intent. Yeah, like that's that's a great comment right there. Let no one okay. govern your intent. We are this is this is America, as I they say. It. Even Canada is part of North America, <laughs> so I can say that. Chris says it works both ways. I'm not flying to Chicago from California to try and trade, though either. Yeah, no one there's nothing in this hobby that's gonna make everybody happy. So we just got to accept that right there. JP says my experience with our local card show hasn't been so great. A lot of cards there are higher than eBay. One dealer doesn't even update the prices listed on his cards and change. Yeah, I mean, I understand how important eBay comps are for buyers, but it's not the end-all be-all. It's really not. Sometimes to pay more to buy a card in person, to be able to look at it in hand, to know there's no risk, that you're not going to receive it, there's value to that. And maybe you got to pay a bit more once in a while. All right. JP says, I wish that there was something more professional here, like the shows that you were talking about. Yeah, maybe one day. Hey, and maybe you know someone who wants to start one up. Uh, Laura says, that's why Comic-Con will always be in San Diego. And uh, Colin says, Cleveland is better. No, I think is what he's saying. The the IX Center in Cleveland is probably my favorite uh, national venue. It's an amazing building for the show. Never mind the Ferris wheel, literally right in the middle of, of the center. Now, I, I would like to say something, regardless of people's opinions on shows and whether it be a big show, a small show, a weekend show, a mall show. Um, the amount of work and time that goes into putting one of those shows on is ridiculous. And I think we, as dealers and customers need to show our respect to these promoters who are putting their blood, sweat, and tears into these events. And sometimes they they may not be making a ton of money on it, but they're there. They're setting up the tables. They're getting the chairs. They're renting them. They're doing what they have to do. They're trying to keep the costs 
um, affordable to the vendors, to the um, to the customers with the admission. And I just think there's so much that goes into a show that people don't see that needs to be like more appreciated. I think. I mean, I always make it a point when I leave the show to thank the promoter for what what they've done um, for putting it together and bringing everybody together like that. There's definitely something to that. I mean, these guys do work hard to get their shows going, especially the ones that do do it right. Needham Needham says, uh, the people are the hobby, time to give back. I mean, that implies that Needham Needham has been to every card show that's ever happened in the last few years and knows exactly what's being given back to the people. And I know for a fact he hasn't been. So there are, there are, there, uh, there is giving back. There is generosity in the hobby. There are businesses in the hobby, including card show promoters, that do have giveaways. There, there are. There's tons of swag to be had at card shows. It's not enough for Needham, Needham, Got him, Got him, though. So, don't go to shows. I mean, again, shows aren't for everybody. If you're not getting enough free stuff at the show, I guess don't go to the show. Go somewhere where you can get more free stuff. At the end of the day, nobody's forcing anybody to go to shows. I can sit right here, not ever leave my house, and buy what I want online. It's all accessible right here. Yeah, you got. I never even have to leave. But you got your fridge, I, you, you got I you got your choose, bath, your clean bathroom. I choose to go to shows because the interaction, the in-person, and that's what it's all about. To me, that's the free stuff that I'm looking for at a card show are those interactions, those meeting people, having conversations, seeing people for the second time, seeing people for the third time, building those relationships. That's free, and that's way better than a box of cards. I've been to shows where people get free stuff and they go, This is what they gave me. Yeah. Like yeah. they're they're just unappreciative. And Oh my gosh, Del Mar, that tag bag, that tag swag bag or whatever they were giving out. Wow, what an awesome like gift for people. Like you walked in, you got a tag swag bag and it had all of your supplies. It had free card savers and sleeves and like tag does it right. I'm going to tell you. Appreciate that on, on behalf of tag. Um, and and the, the union marketplace was so great to work with. Again, the guys that organized the Del Mar Card Show, uh, those guys, those guys did a, did a great job. Uh, they they could hold seminars on how to how to run a, a card show, in my opinion. Uh, Yakes says, "I'll gladly pay ten percent more to get a card right away, as well as be able to see a raw card in person." That's that's very smart. Uh, Chris C says, uh, "Nothing wrong with having it in California once every ten years or something." <laughs> Just saying, no, but. You have to be able to get that. Uh, you have to be able to get that reservation. You need the right. There's just so much more into it. And but again, Chris, I I do hear what you're saying. It would be nice. I'd love for the national to be in California. Uh, I don't know if it has to be though. The Bur like why does the national have to be there? Burbank show is a great show. It's worth the travel to go to the Burbank show. It was for lots of people that did it anyway. So what's up, baseball card curmudgeon? Good to see you. And C Dubs says, uh, "Great conversation. I appreciate that." C Dubs, thank you, C Dubs. Good to have you uh, joining the channel here tonight. And Yakes just jumps in with a comment, says, "The National on the West Coast will never work." And I live on the West Coast. Maybe not. And Chris C says, "Do you guys think the Fanatics will bring back Topps Chrome football and basketball? Miss them both. What do you think? Any any thoughts on that, Mark? I think they. I think they will. It's a very popular product. I think they should." If they're listening, which I think they are, they are. I think they will. I mean, people would love it. You know, listen, I, I love I love the cards that Upper Deck makes for hockey as the as the sole licensee. Uh, but 
I loved some Topps hockey products as well. Uh, oh, there we go. The tag cap. Kobe's where I knew Togi was. I knew, I knew Kobe was a fan of tag grading. You like um, that? <laughs> I, uh, you know, uh, you know, I lost my train of thought. You put the tag cap on Kobe Bryant. Uh, I forget what I was saying about that right there. But oh, ba I love like Topps Heritage Hockey was an all time favorite. Topps Chrome would be a great product. You know, all that. I'd love to see it. But at the same time, yeah. um, I think Upper Deck makes beautiful cards so i'm pretty content i think hockey card collectors are pretty lucky that we still have upper deck making cards for us from as, from a license perspective all right all right i think we can wrap up we're almost at two hours we're an hour 52 this has gone by really quick mark the awesome. chat though shout out to you guys tonight awesome interaction awesome engagement thank you for all the comments another one just come came in we'll wrap this up we'll take a couple minutes to wrap it up though mark it always takes me a little bit longer than ever guys if you're not yet following mark on instagram which you probably are he is simply at ultimate pastime all one word no underscores at ultimate pastime if you're not following me yet at jaylee underscore sports cards live i'll also remind you all that the montreal show is october 29th 30th i will be there set up as a vendor as i will be at the toronto expo november 10th to 13th come out to both those shows if you can and on the thursday the first night of the Toronto Expo, um, I will be hosting a dinner and drinks at the Jack Astor's. It is nearby. More information to come, but you're all invited if you will be in the area. It would be great to see people come out Thursday after the show closes. Uh, okay. Yakes does say that I have a feeling Panini is going to sell some of their basketball and football IP to Fanatics. I think some deal, a deal of some sort seems to be in the works. That's what everyone's saying. That's what everyone's hearing. That's what everyone's saying. So uh, we will definitely see about that. Uh, C Dubs wants to know why it would national never. I'll let Yakes answer uh, his own quest, his own statement there. The battery says, "Do you think we could convince Fanatics to airbrush out the team logos on the caps like Tops did in the '60s?" I'm feeling nostalgic. Pretty funny. Chris C says negativity won't help. I agree, negativity won't help, but we knew caution is never a bad thing. Mama Break says, "Good night, Jeremy and Mark. Great conversation. Thank you, and I appreciate the kind. We're great to have you, Steph. Thank you for." For joining the the stream tonight always nice to see you you in the in anywhere always nice to see Steph out there uh yankee says chris i agree it would be cool but the amount of people on the east coast is a big reason to hold it closer to the east coast skeppy says i am certain there have been times when those figures behind you freaked you out that's talking to you mark <laughs> not me my wife and kids sometimes though <laughs> lasorda does look a little scary back there right now let me see if I can get Lasorda. Laura says, thank you. Appreciate you guys a bunch. Thank you, Laura. Good to have you in the chat tonight for sure. Yeah, that's a little <laughs> freaky. He's it's a, it's a good representation, though. Those teeth look real. Wow. All right, Mark. I want to thank you for joining on a last minute, uh, last minute basis here. We'll have we will have Wiley and Alex from the Union Marketplace on in the future at some point to talk about uh, what they're doing in the hobby. Their, their show, again, Del Mar, was an amazing show, and uh, I'm curious to see what they're going to do next. But, uh, again, thank you to the chat. Uh, tomorrow, 7 o'clock Eastern, I will be back on with Collectible Live, where our guest will be James Kehoe. He is, uh, he's an expert in graded sports magazine collecting, uh, something I'm not that familiar with. But, I like, like you said, Mark, there's other things to collect, and sports magazines, including... Sports Illustrated, they are awesome pieces of history. I don't collect them, but I'm curious to understand the mindset of those that do. 
Go ahead. And a lot of people have them. A lot of people have them. He so, told me, he, he sent me a list of things that we could talk about. And I was like, wow, there's that much to talk about as far as magazines go. So there is going to be some interesting stuff. I'm excited about that. Next week, no sports cards live next Saturday. I will be in Montreal at the card show there, but we'll be back the week after. So that's great. Thank you, C-Dub. Thank you, Anthony George. Thank you again, Mark. Mark, final comments to you. Purple Haze, good to see you and thank you. Final comments to you, Mark, and then we are going to end this stream. Yeah, I just want to thank you for having me on once again. I know this is about second or third time I've done your uh, your show for you, and what you do for the for the collecting community is does not go unnoticed. And I want to thank you for that. And I wish uh, wish you the best of luck uh, from here on out, doing what you're doing, and don't stop because the the hobby needs you. I pre- thank you for those kind words. I appreciate that, Mark. Uh, and you know what? I can say right back to you. You are such a positive uh, presence in the hobby. Everybody that knows you knows that so keep doing what you're doing bobby burrell thank you so much and good to see you and bobby we'll see you in toronto in a couple weeks everybody thank you again for joining us tonight we'll see you again soon this episode is over seeking the truth never gets old introducing june's journey the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery join june parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games.